Amen. Just thank you again, Stephen, and for the church for your invite to come and to testify of the glorious things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done in my life. And I, I count it an honor and a privilege to be able to speak for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you've got your Bibles, I wonder if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're just going to read two verses, verses 8 and 9. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight. We do thank you for the wonderful songs that we've been singing, O oh God. And Lord, tonight we give you all the honor and all the glory. Lord, we pray tonight that you would come into this house, Lord. We pray for the conviction of the Holy Ghost tonight, O oh God. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak into every heart and that you would speak into every life, Lord God. Lord, we pray that there be sinners, Lord, plucked from the burning, O God. We pray, O God, that someone would find their way to the cross tonight. Father, would you touch these stammering lips, Lord, with the coals of the altar, O God. And Lord, would you hide me far behind the cross that none would be seen or heard but thee, and thee alone. Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast friends I, I boast not in Stephen Nixon tonight, but I boast in the one who saved me, who saved me by his grace. Friends, I boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, friends, for without the grace of God in my life, I would probably be in a lost sinner's hell tonight. You know, that word grace means a spontaneous gift from God to people. Generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved. That takes the form of divine favor, love, clemency, and assure in the divine life of God. Friends, I tell you tonight, I did not deserve. I didn't deserve none of those things from God. The only thing that I deserved from God was His wrath. Was His wrath. For you see, friends, at one time, at one time in my life, I was an enemy of God. I was a hater of God. I was an enemy of God. You know, Romans 5 and 10 says, For if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. Saved, friend. Saved by His life. Friends, I was an enemy of God. No thought of God. No time for God. God did not come into the equation in the early part of my life. But now, praise God, I'm a friend of God. I'm a child of God. He owns me as his very own. I'm no longer his enemy, but I'm a son, I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
You know, a famous Christian theologian said this. He said, anyone, anyone can devise a plan by which people may go to heaven. But only God can devise a plan whereby sinners, hear me tonight, friend, whereby sinners who are his enemy can go to heaven. Isn't that just an amazing thought tonight? Think about it. That while you and I, who were once enemies of God, sinners in need of a saviour, God was devising a plan so that we could be reconciled to him and get to go to heaven. Friends, what mercy. What what love. What grace. Friends, I'll say it again. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve his mercy. I didn't deserve his love. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. Friends, I deserved his wrath. For you see, for 25 years, nearly 26 I was his enemy. As I've already said, no thought, no care, no love, no interest. No interest in God. God didn't have any bearing in my life. Not because of him, but because of me. For you see, friends, for me, it was all about me. It was all about living in the here and now. No thought of eternal things. No thought of heaven. No thought of hell. No thought of God. It was all about me and what I could get out of this life and enjoying the present, the pleasures of this life, whether sinful or not. Friends, how selfish, how selfish man is. You know, I was born in 1963. You can work out my age. I was born in a wee street in East Belfast called Douglas Street. Facing Eddie Spence's chip, I'm sure maybe somebody here has heard of Eddie Spence's chip. Famous chip in East Belfast. But born in Douglas Street, two up, two down, two bedrooms upstairs, living room, kitchen, down the stairs, and a toilet out the back. There was no bath, no shower, none like that. We got washed in a tin bath, or what we call the jaw box, the sink. My father was a welder in the yard. He was a welder in the shipyard. He was a big drinker. He was what you would call a hard man. But from what I remember back then, things were hard. There wasn't much money about. Well, my dad would have got paid on a Friday. And then in the, in the shipyard, you get paid in cash. We burn, I don't know why any of you older men remember, we burn envelope. I remember seeing the wee holes in it. And your wages were in that. And my father would come home. Well, truthfully, sometimes he didn't come home on a Friday. When he got paid, he had to went straight to a bar. And there were seven of us, seven kids. Sometimes my mother didn't get her money. So things were hard. But you know, they were hard for everyone in the street. They were hard for everyone in the area. Everyone was struggling to make ends meet. And friends, to be truthful, God or church didn't play a major role in our house. In fact, God was probably used as a swear word. I'm just telling it as it is. We went to Paisley's church on the Ravenhill Road 
on a Sunday afternoon. The bus would have come round and all the kids in the street, we all would have piled into the bus. Three o'clock, the bus would have took us all round to Paisley Sunday School, the bottom of Ravenhill Road there. I think my mother and father were glad just to, to get us out of the house, to get their heads on peace or to recover from their hangover. But, you know, other than that, there was absolutely nothing of God, nothing of church influence in our family. You know, when the troubles broke out in 1969, things were quite bad around where we lived. I didn't, we didn't live too far from a short strand. So it was a bit of an interface. And then there was quite a lot of uh, serious trouble then in and around the areas. Quite often there had been a lot of serious trouble. In 1970, my father was shot in the back. He was out with the orange up at a parade in the shankle and they were walking back. Trouble broke out in the Newton Arch Road and there was a couple of men in the chapel in the Newton Arch Road and they opened up and my father was shot in the back. There was two men killed that night. My father wasn't, but he was quite seriously shot an inch from his spine. And We, whenever he, whenever he came out of hospital, we moved from Douglas Street up to Beaver Estate, South Belfast, probably just to get away from the trouble that was in the area. But you know, I think that had a major influence upon me. It, it, it shaped my thinking and, and my way of life, probably for the next 20 odd years. Everything was about them and us. A bitterness, a hatred, an anger grew in my heart. When I was 15, I, I formed and helped form the flute band in the Beaver Estate area. And my life just revolved around that. In the summer, you were out parading with the band, with the orange. In the winter, I was playing football. I loved to play football. If I wasn't playing football, I was away to the Linfield match or I went over to Glasgow to watch Rangers playing. I, I probably would, would you call the Linfield hooligan to my shame. I was a hooligan. But for some reason, I was attracted. I was attracted to trouble. I was attracted to large crowds. And especially when they started the rat. I, I would have been involved in quite a lot of trouble. And then added to all that was the drink and the alcohol, which I, I done from a very, very early age, 10 tins of beer and a bottle of cider. That's what we used to get to carry out. So it was a lethal cocktail burning up within me. And God only knows where that was going to take me. Friend, hear me very clearly tonight. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more 
than you want to pay. And friends, I'm a living experience of that. It, it, it certainly took me further than I wanted to go. And it kept me longer than I thought it would. And I certainly paid far much more money than I thought I would pay. But you know, ultimately, friends, hear me tonight. The Bible says in James 1.15, Sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. It bringeth forth death. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me tell you something tonight. That devil pays bad wages. Forget about your minimum wage. Forget about your working, your living wage or your working class wage. That devil pays bad wages. There might be a lot of pleasures. There might be a lot of enjoyments in sin. But hear me very clearly tonight, friend. If the sin problem is not dealt with, then it will bring forth death. An eternal separation from God. Truthfully, I love my sin. That was come back 30 years ago. I didn't think it was bad sin. In fact, I didn't even think it was sin at all. Sure, it was only doing what everybody else was doing. Drinking, partying, nightclubbing, ratting, fighting. Sure, we all done that. That's all that we've done. When I left school, I got a job in Beaver Park Hospital. This is in the sort of late 70s as a machine operator. I worked there for four or five years. And then I, I got a job in the DOE laying flags and tarmacking and curbing. I worked there for six or seven years. I went and I got my class one. I got my ADR. I got my Huscam. I'm now driving oil tankers. I deliver oil. Petrol, Carol, got whatever. I deliver oil. That's what I'm doing now. But in my late teens, early 20s, my life consisted of working all week, training two nights a week for the football, playing a match on a Saturday, and then drinking both Friday, Saturday, and then into Sunday. Some might even said that I was a weekend alcoholic. And when there was no football on, then I was out marching with the band or with the orange. And a lot of it revolved around the drink. And you know what they say, friends? When the drink's in, the wit's out. And to coin an old Belfast expression, when my wit was out, I was nuts. I had no fear. I'd have done anything. I wouldn't have done anything wicked or evil. But I'd have done anything. I'm not going to go into any gory details. It's not profitable. But thank God the Lord has erased a lot of it from my mind. Thank God that it's under the blood. Thank God that it's washed away into the sea of his forgetfulness. You know, I met Patricia, my wife, when I was 25. I organized a a fundraising event for our football team. A disco, really. (laughs) I don't even know whether they do have discos anymore. I don't know. But I organized a, a disco and a rugby club. <laughs> and Patricia was there. Patricia wasn't a Christian then, obviously. Uh, 
Her father is a pastor of the church, started a church in Beaver. But can I tell you, the Lord works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. You know, Patricia would have went to church on a Sunday night to please her mother and father. She asked me to go. I wouldn't go. I had no interest. I would have come around the car, sat in the car park. Church was over. She had to get in the car. We'd have been away down to Bangor and I'd have had a few drinks. But after a while of asking, her mother asked me, her father, I eventually went to church. Now, i never been to church. Well, I would have been to church for a wedding or a funeral or a baptism. Church of Ireland, Presbyterian maybe. That's all I knew of church. But I went to Patricia's mother and father's church that Sunday night. It's a Pentecostal church. And I'll tell you, friends, I never experienced anything like it. I thought I was nuts. They were nuts. They were praising God. They were shouting hallelujah. They were dancing. They were clapping their hands. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. It blew me away. But friends, can I tell you something? They had a joy. They had a happiness. And they had a peace that I'd never seen before. They had something that I didn't have. And you know, from that first night that I went to that church, I believe the Holy Spirit started to work in my heart. It's called conviction. It's called conviction. Or as someone once said, the hound of heaven, the hound of heaven was hunting me down. And friends, oh, that the hound of heaven would hunt more men and women and boys and girls down. Conviction came hunting me. I was still doing the same old things. Still going out with the boys. Still drinking, still going out with the, with the orange, still going to the parades. But you know, there wasn't the same enjoyment that I had before. There was something niggling away at my heart. Not in my mind, but in my heart. For you see, friends, that's the only thing God's interested in. He's not interested in what's between your two ears. He's not interested in your smarts. He's not interested in the, in the, the intellect that you've got. He's not interested in your intelligence. No, friends. But the only thing that he's interested in is your heart. It's your heart. Sure, does he not say in Proverbs 28 and 26, My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe thy ways. Give me your heart. Son, give me your heart. That's all he's interested in. You know, I'll give you an example of conviction in my life. It was the 30th of June, 1989. We were up the Shango. It was White Rock Day. 
Red Rock Day is an orange parade they have down the Shankill, across Ainsworth Avenue, under Springfield, that's whenever they used to be able to do this, across Ainsworth Avenue, up the Springfield Road, under West Circular Road, down through Woodville, and right down under Shankill again. It's a pretty contentious parade. But there was about 14 or 15 of us. And I was in a bar called the Mountain View Arms. It's still there, it's still open, as far as I know. At the top of Shankill, at Woodville there, facing the Innsworth Avenue. And I was standing with 14 or 15 of my mates, Saturday afternoon. It was kicking off outside. I think the police or the soldiers wouldn't let them down Innsworth Avenue. I think a young fella threw a hand grenade and it blew up on him. I'm not sure why he was killed or not. But it was kicking off outside. And I remember standing with two pint bottles of beer in my hand. And something just came over me, Stephen. And I remember throwing the beer down. And I said to my mate, Stan, I'm away. He says, where are you going? I says, I'm going home. He says, what are you... What do we mean? I said, Stop. I, 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 I'm going home. I can't stay here. And I remember walking out of that bar, through the crowds, down the Shankill Road, and I was crying my eyes out. What, what was I crying for? Why was I weeping? Friends, God was dealing with me. God was dealing with my heart. I believe that's conviction. He was dealing with my heart. You know, that struggle, they say, when there's a struggle going on in your heart, it's like the black dog and the white dog fighting in your heart. Who's going to win out? Is it the black dog of sin? Or is it the white dog of Christ? You know, that struggle came to an end on the 17th September 1989. Uh, a preacher came from England and came and preached at the church one Sunday night. I couldn't even tell you his name. I don't even know what he preached on, but he preached a gospel message. But he made an altar call. And me and Patricia got up and the two of us walked to the front and we bowed the knee and we surrendered our hearts and our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for me, it was like a bag of coal being lifted off my back. Has anybody ever lifted a bag of coal? Now, I'm not talking your wee 20 kg bag of coal. I'm talking your 40 or 50 kilogram bag. I've done it. I'm still doing a wee bit of it. But it was like a bag of coal being... You ever dump a bag of coal off your back into the bunker? What a weight. But that's what it felt like for me. For me, that sin just lifted off me. You know, I started to see things differently. My thoughts began to change. My words began to change. My attitude began to change. Everything seemed to be like brand new to me. It was like being born all over again. But then... Isn't that what Jesus said in John 3 and 3? Except the man be born again, he cannot. Friend, hear me, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Friend, hear me tonight, going to church is not going to save you. Going to church is not going to save you. 
Being religious and paying into the church ain't going to save you. Doing good and doing good works is not going to save you, no, friends. But Jesus said, not me, not the preacher, but Jesus said, you must, you must be born again. No, he said that too. He said that to Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a scribe. He was a, he was a teacher of the law. He knew the word inside out. He taught it week in and week out. And he went to Jesus by night. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, unless a man be born of water, unless he be born of the Spirit, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must put off the old and you must put on the new. And friends, that's what i done. That's what i done. I put off the old life and I put on the new life. You know, one of the first things that i done was to tell my mates that I got saved, what do you think they've done? They laughed at me. I still played the football. And I saw it in the changing rooms that I sung hymns to me, mocking me and just slagging me. But that's all right. I didn't mind that. I can cope with that. I pray for those guys. Still seeing some of them saved. Still praying for them. They said, Stephen, you'll be back down the elbow rooms next Friday. Elbow rooms is a bar we drunk in the city centre in Dublin Road. We'd have drunk there and then we'd have just moved all around the bars in the middle of Belfast. Friends, that was 32 years ago. I've never been down there since. And here I am, still testifying of the goodness of God in my life. Has it been easy? No. No. Has it all been a bread of roses? Certainly not. But you know, friends, I wouldn't change it for anything. I wouldn't change it for anything. As the song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus' life's trials will sing so small. When we see Christ. You know, he never said that it was going to be a walk in the park, did he? He said, take up your cross, Stephen, and you follow me, son. For you see, friends, it rains on the just. And it rains on the unjust. See, a lot of Christians forget that. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. A lot of things we'll never know, but we'll know when we get the glory. But you know the wonderful thing about my Savior is that through all the storms, that through all the trials and all the horrible things that this life throws at us, he has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Friends, I've proved this. I have proved this in my life. You know, four years ago, it was four years ago, wasn't it? Four years ago, I was diagnosed with a mass cancerous tumor in the base of my bowels. I was told that this tumor had been growing for 12 years. I knew nothing about it. Worked away, not a pain, nothing. But they told me it was a slow-growing tumor that had been growing for 12 years. I had no discomfort. I had no pain. Nothing. Nothing. Until one Sunday after church, one Sunday afternoon, I come home from church and I felt unwell. This is 2018. I felt unwell. Stomach was sore. 
lot of pain in my stomach. The pain began to get worse and worse. I was off work on Monday and Tuesday. And then I had to go into Wednesday to do a 12-hour shift. And then I was flying out to Nepal and India to do a missionary trip up the Himalayas. And then we're going to go into India and do a crusade in India, along with Timothy and a few others. By Tuesday night, my stomach had swollen out. And that's the truth. My stomach had swollen away out. 12 o'clock on the Tuesday night, Patricia and myself ended up in the NE of the Ulster Hospital in Dundong there. They'd done x-rays, they'd done blood tests, they'd done a CT scan, they'd done a dye test, they'd done every test you can get. I was still in A&E at 9 o'clock the next morning in a wee cubicle where a curtain pulled across. Two lady consultants come in, asked Patricia to leave. They'd done more tests on me, come in internal. They left, Patricia came back in. We waited 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then the two consultants come back in. And I'm lying on the bed. And she just looked at me and says, Mr. Nixon, you have a mass cancerous tumor and your bowels are about to burst. We need to operate on you, like now, ASAP. They were afraid of my bowels bursting and septicemia setting in. They told me that they were going to remove my bowel. They said, they drew a picture of my bowel and he put hundreds of dots over it and says, that's your bowel, Mr. Nixon. It's covered in polyps. It's very, very badly diseased. And there's a blockage in your bowel. It's a cancerous tumor. It's six centimeters big. They measured it. They had a picture of it. She said, Stephen, we're going to remove your bowel. We're going to put on a colostomy bag and we're going to remove the tumour. And I put my hand on my head and thinking, have you got the right person here? This is not right. No. But it was right. They come back about an hour later and they said, we're not going to do that now. We're going to remove your bowel. We're going to put the bag in. But we're going to do a biopsy on the tumour. And then we're going to give you weeks of chemo or radiotherapy. Hopefully shrink the tumour. And then we'll maybe remove it. The surgeon told me the long term prognosis was not good. And by that I mean I may only have a few months to live. Because the cancer and the tumour was so aggressive. Listen friends, I needed a miracle. I needed a miracle. The doctor's report was not good. But you know something, friends? I was looking to the waymaker. I was looking to the miracle worker. I was looking to the promise keeper. I was going to believe the report of the Lord for healing and for life. Because you see, friend, My God specializes in miracles. He specializes in the impossibilities. Friends, let me tell you what happened. God's people began to pray. Friends, family, come up to the hospital. The word went out right across the world. Need to pray for Stephen. God's people began to pray. 
I went to theatre at 3.30 that afternoon. I was in theatre for four hours. They operated on me for four hours. Opened me up from here down to here. Made a hole here to put the bag on. The surgeon who opened me up was to do the biopsy on the tumour. She was a believer. And she said to me before I went into theatre, she said, Stephen, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'll be praying for you while in theatre. But friends, to cut a long story short, she said that she put her hand on my stomach with the scalpel. And she says, as soon as she put her hand on my stomach, she said, the Lord said, there it's gone. I've removed it. I've removed it. But obviously she had to carry on with the operation. She opened me up and she lifted my bowel out. And the first thing she noticed, there wasn't one polyp, not one disease in my A perfectly healthy bowel, that's what she said. The main consultant, Miss McGee, said, let's keep on Let's look for this tumor. They looked for the tumor and they couldn't find it. Another surgeon popped his head in. And remember, at lunchtime, this is what I was told by Louise the next morning. She said, at lunchtime, Stephen, we were all gathered, surgeons, anesthetists, consultants, all gathered around your scan, TV screen, Picture of the tumor, picture of my bowel. Saw everything, measured the tumor. The tumor was six centimeters big. In fact, Patricia and myself saw a picture of my bowel. And we saw hundreds and hundreds of dark spots that size covered my bowel. That surgeon popped his head in. <clears throat> says, Everything going all right? He says, No, we can't find the tumor. So he came in in Norway and burst my appendix. <clears throat> and they'd done a full, extensive search of my insides. Sorry for being so graphic tonight, but I'm just telling it as it is. They couldn't find it. They found nothing. They didn't find any tumor. They found no disease bile. Friends, God had heard from heaven and he stretched forth his hand and he touched me and he healed me right from the top of my head right to the soles of my feet. It was gone. Everything gone. And that was after being told the tumor was there for 12 years. Being told it was six centimeters big. We asked to see the, the picture of the tumor about three months later whenever I had to go for a checkup. And they conveniently said they couldn't find the picture of the tumor, but we saw a picture of the bile. Friends, my Savior, my Deliverer, my Healer had removed it. To see that surgeon who opened me up, she came and testified in our church six weeks later. And she told exactly what had happened in theater. 
Friends, when do you ever get a doctor coming to a church? When do you ever get a surgeon, a consultant coming to a church and telling of the miraculous power of God? You know, I asked that girl, Louise, Louise, what happened? The next morning, I said, Louise, what happened in theater when they couldn't find anything? She said, Stephen, there was confusion. There was utter confusion. The, the doctors and nurses were totally mystified as to what had happened. Friends, I'll tell you what happened. God happened. That's what happened. God happened. That's what happened. I went in the theater a very, very sick man and I came back totally healed by the power of God. He worked a miracle. A miracle in my life. Friends, I'll tell you, I shouldn't be here tonight. But thank God. Thank God for the miraculous power of God. You know, they brought me out in the recovery room at about half seven that night. And I'll tell you something, friends, I have never, ever felt the presence of the Lord like I've ever felt in that recovery room. Never before, not even now, never felt the presence Amazing presence of God in that recovery room. I never knew what had happened. I was still in that recovery room. But you know, within me, I began to praise God. And what I kept saying over and over and over again, and this is verified by the porters, was Psalm 34. I sought the Lord. And he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And the Lord delivered him and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, when the porters brought me back, Patricia and my two kids were there in the, in the ward waiting for me. And the porter says, he's been doing this all night. Must have thought I was crackers. He's been saying this all night. Folks, it's real. Please hear me tonight. It's real. It's real. There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like His touch. He is a faithful God. There's nothing too hard or too difficult for Him. There's no cancer too hard for Him. Hear me, friend, tonight. I don't know any of you people, but God bless you. I don't know what's going on in your lives tonight, but listen to me. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no cancer too hard for him. There's no disease too hard for him. There's no one too far gone for him. For you see, he specializes in the impossibilities. He is a miracle worker. Friends, he's a miracle worker. Friends, he's a miracle worker. There's nothing too hard for him. You know, as I come to a close, I received a miracle in my body, and it was amazing. But friends, can I tell you an even greater miracle than that? It's the miracle of the new birth. It's when a soul passes from life, passes from death on to life. That's the greatest miracle one can ever receive.
an unsafe person in this room tonight, or you may be watching online, all you have to do to receive of this miracle is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and ask him into your heart and into your life. And friends, can I tell you, he will be faithful. He will be faithful to hear that cry. You know, the Bible says today, today if you hear his voice, whose voice? God's voice. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month or next year. But today, friends, today is the day of salvation. Friend, it's time to come to Jesus. You hear me tonight? It's time to come to Jesus. It's time to give your life to him. Friends, can I tell you, time for this world's running out. Maybe you may not have noticed it, but the signs are all around us. The Lord is about to return. That trumpet is about to blow, and the Lord is about to return. Friend, I ask you, will you be caught up? Or will you be caught on? Will you be caught up to meet him in the sky? Or will you be caught on in your sins? Friends, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2 says, to everything there's a season and a time and a purpose to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Friends, God has determined a time and a season for everything. For everything. A time for you and I to be born and a time for you and I to die. And I know some may feel uncomfortable with that tonight. But friends, that's the way God has ordained things. He has appointed a time for us to be born and he's appointed a time for each and every one of us to die. Jesus said, Jesus said, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. You know, friends, there's one thing we can all be certain of. Is we'll all die. We will all die. And we will all keep that appointment with God. No one will ever live forever on this earth. No one. Friends, no one. No one will live forever. We're all going to die. That's the way God has ordained things. You know, the Bible describes our lives as a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away, just like the, just like the steam from a boiling kettle. It's there for a while, moving about. But then it's gone. It's gone. Listen, friend, tonight, life at its best is very brief. It's like the falling of a leaf. It's like the binding of a sheaf. Be in time. Be in time. Friends, time is short. But eternity lasts forever. Forever. So the question must be asked tonight. Where will you spend eternity? Think about that. Where will you spend eternity? For you see, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. 
Death in the grave is not the end, no, friends. It's only the beginning. The beginning of eternal life with God in heaven or eternal life in hell with the devil. Friend, the decision is yours. Or as they say in old football parlance, the ball is at your foot. The ball's in your court. The decision is yours. But friends, please hear me tonight. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. Praise God. Christ is the cure. Friends, there's hope tonight. And that hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. You know, friend, on that great and final day, when you and I, when we stand before the great God of heaven, the question will be asked, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you accept him? Did you accept him? Or did you reject him? Did you throw him over your shoulder? Ah. Heard enough of that. What did you do? What are you going to do, friend? Are you going to accept him? Or are you going to reject him? Friends, we're all going to have to answer that question. How you answer that question will determine where you will spend eternity, either in heaven with God or in hell without Christ. Friend, if you call upon him now, if you call upon him now, I know that he will be faithful to hear that cry and to answer you. Jesus says, come on to me. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, you can find rest tonight. And that rest is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, he's just a prayer away. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to answer that great question? Friend, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. I urge you with everything that's in my heart, if you're not saved tonight, if you're like Demas and you've turned away from God having loved this world, friend, I urge you, come back to him. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. I wonder, could we all buy our heads, please? You know, I'm just going to make a short appeal. And I ask tonight, is there anyone here? Is there anyone here 
that knows Christ, that doesn't know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Is there anyone here and you're walking afar off from God? Maybe like Peter, you're warming yourself at the fire. You've denied him. Friend, there's mercy tonight. There's mercy at the foot of the cross. His arms are open wide tonight. He says, come to me. He'll forgive you. He'll love you. He'll lavish his grace upon you. Friend, is there one tonight? Is there one tonight? You know, if he led in the spirit to say this, maybe you're sick tonight. Maybe you need a miracle like me. The doctor's report is not good. You know, I believe God. I believe God. What he's done for me, he can do for others. You know, if you want prayer tonight, we'll pray with you. We'll lay hands upon you. And we'll pray that simple faith. Lord, would you touch? Lord, would you heal? Would you show your great power? You know, you can just come to this front. You can speak to me afterwards, whatever. He's still a miracle worker. He's still healing today, no matter what they say. My God's still healing today. And he still wants to do miracles today. I'm living proof of that. Is there one? Amen. Thank you. Some number of years ago, in a prison over in England, a minister went to see some of the inmates. And one of the criminals that were there, who was notorious for his criminality, the minister went to him and stood and looked through the bars. And as he looked into the eyes of that man with his face scarred by sin, the minister asked him a question and he says, Sir, how is it that you ended up here? After a moment, the prisoner, he lifted his head and he looked into the eyes of the minister and the tears started to come down his eyes. He said, sir, the reason I'm here is because I made the wrong decision. I made the wrong decision. Two o'clock this afternoon, there was a verse of scripture shot into my mind and I'm going to close with it. It's in Joshua chapter 24. And it's for somebody in this meeting tonight. Choose you this day 
whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you know, dear friend, tonight if you die without Christ, if you die without Stephen Nixon's Savior, if you bypass the cross of Calvary and reject the precious blood of Christ, and you end up in a lost sinner's hell, the one reason why you will be there is because you made the wrong decision. I wonder what your choice is going to be tonight. Moses could say, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. The way of blessing and the way of cursing. Choose life that ye may live. You see, every time you hear the gospel and every time that you hear a testimony, God pushes you for a decision. And there's somebody in this meeting tonight and God's going to put you into the corner and he's asking you to decide, choose ye this day whom you will serve. And I wonder what your choice is going to be. Do not make the wrong choice. Don't do it. We're going to stand to our feet, and it's just of the Lord tonight. But we're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to sing a hymn that Stephen mentioned whenever he was giving his testimony. And I had already arranged it before he, he had mentioned. I didn't know he, he, was looking at, he was going to say it tonight. Life at best is very brief. Like the falling of a leaf. Like the binding of a sheaf being time. Fleeting days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast and the fatal line be passed. Be in time. Go to the last verse there, Sharon, just we read it. Sinner, heed the warning voice. Make the Lord your final choice. Then all heaven will rejoice. Be in time. Come from darkness and the light. Come let Jesus make you right. Come and start for heaven tonight. Be in time. Let us stand to our feet and then we'll sing it together and we'll close in a moment of prayer.